welcome back to The Everyday Evangelist. I'm Jessica Dudek, Director of Evangelization at Christ the King Catholic Church in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and this is your landing ground for practical tips and tools for sharing the faith in the day-to-day. Over the past several weeks, we've been running a series on faith and sexuality. And from the beginning, we've explored our own need for healing in this area and have been talking about letting the Lord into our own areas of wounding. From there, we've talked about finding hope in the midst of experiencing same-sex attraction, as well as God's message of hope for those who face addiction. And today, I am thrilled to welcome my good friend and colleague, Amy Godfrey. Amy is the Director of Adult Discipleship here at Christ the King, and she has also, before serving in ministry, worked as a lawyer, earned her Master's in Moral Theology from Sacred Heart, and has taught medical ethics to nursing students. So I invited Amy to come on today and talk about in vitro fertilization and artificial insemination. This was a topic that came kind of glaring into my life when I dealt with the medical trauma, and Amy offered me um, some profound insight when I was going through that. Obviously, I knew some of the church's teaching, but Amy also understood the breadth of the medical issues associated with these treatments that really back up the church's stance. So Amy, as we get started today, I love if we could actually back up a little bit more, you know, from the medics and the theology and talk first about the positive. So in your words and from your understanding, what is God's plan for sex? Well, first of all, I would say God's plan for sex is that we actually have it. (laughs) So a lot of people um, assume that the church has rules about, so many rules about not having sex before you're married, for example, and so that the ultimate plan is that it's not supposed to be fun, it's not supposed to be enjoyed, it's supposed to be something that we do to have children, but for no other reason. And that really isn't God's plan for sex. His plan for sex is that it be a way of uniting husband and wife in their conjugal love and also being a way to... um, produce fruit um, in the form of children. So um, that God's plan, so it, therefore, is that those two things are always connected to sex, that there be um, a uniting of the spouses and that there be the possibility of children, the potential of children, not that children have to result from every time a married couple has sex. But um, And really, the Catholic Church teaches what it does about sex and about reserving sex for marriage because Um, The church teaches that sex is so good, and it Mm -hmm. is a way of uniting a man and woman together. And um, because of that, it's it's reserved for marriage, not because there's something dirty or wrong about it, but because it is so good. Um, And it it produces then um, fruit in the form of children, um, or at least has the potential for. So Lovely. Yeah, I appreciate the kind of holistic perspective that, you know, the Lord desires that goodness and pleasure and bonding of the couple, as well as setting up for for family. Mm -hmm. Um, So from that, obviously, we're talking about when not everyone's able to have a family. And that's clearly anyone who's pursuing in vitro fertilization or artificial insemination. Um, Their hope clearly is for a family. So as we you know, begin to talk about this. I wonder if you could just let us know a little bit about what these procedures are and what they entail. Because I don't want to assume that our audiences even really know what this, what these things look like. So the two forms of reproductive technology that we're going to talk about today are artificial insemination and in vitro fertilization. So artificial insemination is when, um, sperm is taken through a donation from a man. It could be, um, 
an anonymous donor. It could be, if it was a married couple, it would most likely be from the husband, but not always. It could still be an anonymous donor if that husband, for example, doesn't have any sperm at all. Um, and then the sperm is injected into the woman at the time when she is fertile. She's given um, hormones to increase ovulation so that ovulation can be predicted for when it's actually gonna happen. And then the sperm is injected into the woman's uterus. Um, and then in vitro fertilization is uh, when, again, sperm is taken from a donor, usually a husband, but not always, and um, is used to fertilize uh, the woman's eggs. So uh, massive amounts of hormones are given to the woman so that she'll produce multiple eggs. I mean, it could be 20 eggs. Um, and then the eggs are retrieved and the um, egg and the sperm are used to fertilize and create an em embryo. And then the embryos are tested to find out which ones are the strongest and most likely to live. And uh, the couple is usually given a choice of what embryos they want to implant. Um, and they're sort of told which embryos have the highest chance of actually being born. Um, and then the woman is given more homo hormones to prepare her for pregnancy and then the uh, embryo or embryos are implanted in her uterus hmm. um, with the hope that a pregnancy will ensue. So those, those are the basic, the basic way that both of those work. Okay, very helpful. So obviously someone's intent in this is to have a family, but the Catholic Church has determined that these reproductive methods are wrong and immoral. Can you tell us why the church is against these technologies? So the fundamental reason is because uh, the church teaches that um, the procreation of children should only take place through an act of intercourse between a husband and a wife. Um, and both of those, hopefully from the way I've described them, it's clear, don't take place during an act of intercourse between a husband and a wife. They're taking place um, in, a, a, in a very different way. Um, and what the church teaches is that uh, babies have a right to be born of the loving union of their father and their mother, mm. um, not born in a petri dish or not born through um, artificial insemination. Um, that that babies have that right to be born of a loving union. Um, so that's the the theological or the philosophical reason behind it. But there are also um, especially with regard to IVF, a lot of very troubling ethical and moral issues that arise uh, through using IVF. Um, so uh, usually in order to create uh, the most options for implanting embryos, um, as I said, you know, up to 20 eggs might be retrieved mm -hmm. from, from the woman. And then they all might be fertilized or only some of them might be fertilized, but usually only two are implanted at most. Wow. So you have all of these other embryos, which we believe are human beings with a soul who are then frozen and saved potentially for further pregnancies, but um, often not. You have a lot of excess embryos. And so the embryos um, either stay frozen or can be used for medical research um, or will just be allowed to thaw and die. So that's um, obviously very troubling. Um, the other issue is that the success rates for IVF aren't really all that high. They are getting better as technology improves, but the success rates, for example, if you're over 40, the success rate's only about 11% that you wow. actually will 
conceive a child through IVF. So you're creating children, even the ones that are being implanted, that you know are not likely to live. Um, so again, of another very troubling aspect. And the one that I think most people don't think about, a lot of people know about the problem of the frozen embryos, but one thing a lot of people don't think about is that essentially IVF is eugenics. So um, for those of you who don't know what eugenics is, it's the idea that only those who are perfect, only those who are strong, only those who have the right traits, whatever they might be, should be the ones who are born and survive. And in the 1920s and 1930s, it was a very strong movement in the United States. Um, and actually Margaret Sanger and the birth control movement kind of developed out of that. But IVF um, perpetuates the idea of eugenics. So only the strongest embryos are the ones that are implanted. And people actually select for different traits. You can select for, I want you know, blonde hair or blue eyes, or I um, don't want a girl, I don't want a boy. Um, and it's getting, the, the medical technology is getting more and more precise that you can begin to select for more things. So you're basically practicing eugenics um, when engaging in, in IVF. Um, wow, it's troubling as well. <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, so what starts as a couple looking to have a family turns into um, a lot of babies dying. Yes. and whether, Or being turned into to research yes. items. Um, and I, and, and yeah. I think to be fair to couples, they, mm -hmm. they, ju they just want a baby. Yeah. And they're not thinking about all of the other repercussions of this. Um, in the United States, mm -hmm. these procedures are not regulated at all. Well, um, there is, you know, association of doctors, they loosely regulate themselves, but there's no laws. You can do whatever you want. In Germany and Italy, for example, you can only fertilize the same num that number of embryos that you are going to implant. So they don't have the problem of excess embryos, um, but they have other problems. The eugenic problem is still there. But in the United States, there's no regulation whatsoever. So you can you can do whatever you want. And it leads to a lot of problems that I think couples don't realize. Like when you ask couples after IVF about the excess embryos, they often say, yeah, we didn't really think about that. That makes sense. Yeah. And it sounds too like even in countries where it is regulated, where they're only, you know, um, creating as many embryos as they're going to implant, with the success rate being so low, that's really not setting up, you know, a baby for success. Um, it also sounds to me like that could be incredibly emotionally damaging to go through this whole process of IVF and not even yes. result in life. Yes, and a lot of fertility doctors are less than forthcoming about what the um, what the chances actually are sure. of getting pregnant through IVF. Artificial insemination, it's a much higher rate, but with artificial insemination, you have a much higher rate of um, multiple births, which is another problem for the woman because you can mm. end up with producing five eggs and having five um, that are fertilized. And, you know, that's a lot. That's very dangerous to the woman to carry that many um, that many babies to term. And so often a doctor will say, well, we'll do selective abortions for the ones okay. that you don't want. They'll test the babies to figure out which ones are the strongest, and then they'll abort the other ones unless the mother chooses to keep it. So that's also another trauma for the woman, too, to get pregnant. And then all of a sudden you're being told you have to abort a bunch of the babies. Um, again, that's going to happen more in artificial insemination. It wouldn't happen in IVF necessarily, but um, women aren't told. They're not told the risks. Um, 
they're beginning to see now um, potential repercussions from all the hormones that women are given to produce the eggs, to basically force them to get pregnant when that's not what their body wants to do. And women are beginning to wonder if the, um, if the, the health problems they have are from the fact that they were pumped full of all of these hormones. Mm -hmm. Um, In IVF, I said it usually is the woman's own eggs that are being fertilized, but it can also be a donor egg from another woman. And um, it's especially uh, the women who are giving the donor eggs that are finding the the health problems that they're wondering if it's related to doing the egg. Um, Which raises another issue because donor... um, Men are paid for sperm if they're going to donate it, and women are paid for their eggs. So it's basically you're selling body parts, um, which isn't allowed in any other medical situation, but is allowed in this situation, um, which, you know, also is is very troubling. And people people have brought that up yeah. as, a, as a problem. Um, yeah. Wow. So even... Just from the reality that obviously many babies are not set up for success and are, mm-hmm. you know, are pa- pass away. Now we're starting to get into this reality of how this affects men and women and paying for body parts. And so it's starting to spread into some other moral yes. questions. And you already touched on eugenics. What, what are some more of these fallouts kind of mm-hmm. from IVF that you've seen? Um, well, there's this idea that um, we have a right to a baby. Um, because we want one. And as much as we want children, we don't have a right to them. Um, But the, um, that's really not what the science is telling people. It's not what the doctors are telling people. And so really what it turns babies into is a product, a product to be used and not a gift to be loved. Um, And especially when you talk about eugenics and choosing um, you know, the strongest to survive or the, the ones that you think will be the strongest um, and make it all the way to, um, to a full-term birth, um, you're, you're treating as if you, if you have a right to a perfect child, as if mm-hmm. you, um, yeah, and, and, and that really is viewed as a, as a product of medical science, not as a gift or a, a fruit of a man and woman's love. Yeah. Um, and that's a, I think that's one of the very serious problems. We're not objects to be used. Um, we are we're people to be loved. And that, that really is, takes away from that. There's a lot of very interesting legal issues, interesting thorny legal issues that I came across um, when I was teaching law. Um, so, you know, if you have a bunch of frozen embryos, you and, you and your spouse, and you get divorced, who gets the embryos? Um, what what happens to them? And um, sometimes one of the spouses wants them destroyed or donated to medical science, which is basically destroying them. The other one wants to actually implant them and have them, um, you know, brought brought to full term through pregnancy. And mm-hmm. the fight over who who gets to have them is um, heartbreaking. Or you know, we haven't even talked about surrogacy or the issues that arise from that. There's a lot of really complicated medical issues. Um, if you're using a donor egg or a donor sperm, um, so say a woman got pregnant, it's her egg, but she was using donor sperm, and her husband decides to divorce her, and he has no biological connection to this child, does he have to pay child support? So there's there's all kinds of sort of the, the ripple effect that, um, again, people don't think about mm-hmm. when they're, they're doing this or the effect that it has on the child. 
Um, right? Yeah. You started to talk earlier about women are starting to wonder the impact this has had on them, kind of being pumped full of hormones. Um, could you speak to how everybody is affected by this? You've got the egg from the woman, the sperm from the man, the baby. So we're talking about, obviously these babies are not set up for success. Mm-hmm. What are some of the implications on both the parents? Like what are some of the other ways this affects women? Mm-hmm. What are some of the ways this affects men? So women are often just treated as a basically a baby-making machine. <laughs> um, and they'll say that. Even women who are... Um, you know, they're desperate to have a child and they think IVF is their only option. Yeah. Um, they feel like they've just been reduced to a simple biological function. Mm-hmm. Um, and rather than seeing a person as a whole, just being seen as a function of your body is incredibly damaging. Um, men who struggle with infertility um, have can have a lot of issues with, with that as well, um, their masculinity being called into question. Um, one thing I didn't mention is the way that sperm is obtained for IVF or artificial insemination is through masturbation, which is itself a grave evil. So um, you've begun even begun this process with grave evil before you even move on. Um, and a lot of children who are born through donor egg or donor sperm are really beginning to feel the loss of that other part of them. They really, in a sense, view themselves as adopted, um, but they're told that they should just be happy they're alive and not bother to look for, you know, who the sperm donor was, who the egg donor was, um, because, you know, basically they're the result of this medical production. Um, And there's actually a whole website that um, is dedicated to these children telling their stories about how they feel like they're missing a part of them, um, that they they have no way of knowing who, who this other part of them is. Um, and so that's affecting, affecting the children as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and often, because women are immediately told, um, okay, you're having infertility, you're having trouble getting pregnant, let's jump straight to IVF or artificial insemination, their health isn't being treated with respect either because often there's an underlying condition that if solved or at least if treated might enable them to mm-hmm. carry uh, a pregnancy to term. Um, and they're just pushed straight to IVF instead of somebody actually taking a look at her and saying, let's see what's wrong. Let's see if we can fix it. There is a um, there are doctors who are committed to learning more about how women's bodies work and why they work, how they work, and how we can help women who are struggling with infertility get pregnant in ways that are more natural and holistic. And um, the success rate of it's called NAPRO technology um, is about the same or higher than IVF, um, depending on your age, depending on what the underlying condition is, but. Um, there are other other ways to to help women and men who are struggling with this um, that don't involve these uh, invasive medical medical procedures. Um, and often women who are told they could struggle with infertility, I know Jessica, you had this same issue, are told, well, 
you know, I'll, we'll harvest your eggs and you'll do IVF and that's how we'll solve the problem for you. And there are other options. Um, the problem with those other options are less convenient for the doctors. <laughs> so <laughs> they, they would prefer that you just do the easy thing for them. But, you know, for example, women who are going to go through intense chemotherapy, which often um, puts a woman into premature men menopause, you can actually um, cut off part of the ovary, freeze it, when chemotherapy is done, reattach it to the ovary, and it jump starts the reproductive system again. Wow. Um, but, you know, women aren't necessarily told those things. They're told, mm -hmm. okay, we're just going to harvest your eggs and do IVF. You know, maybe you can have a baby after chemo's done. But there are other ways to do it. And what really makes me angry um, is that women are not treated, um, and women's bodies in particular are not being treated with the respect that they deserve. Um, so my story is I have endometriosis, which is a disease that 30% of women, if they have endometriosis, are infertile or struggle with um, infertility. And so I have had to navigate a lot of this and navigate mm -hmm. doctors um, who I felt weren't respecting me and weren't respecting my body in a way that I thought was, was appropriate. And mm -hmm. so I just you know, feel like I need to advocate for women to get the care that they need. Yeah. Oh, I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, so, Amy, for people kind of hearing this today, um, this could be kind of, you know, it's jarring news. And frankly, it should be jarring news. It's a jarring reality, given the the layers to it, with the number of babies lost, just the fact that this is not a system that sets up a baby to survive, The really the violation of women. And it's like... I know it's not experimental, but even not knowing what the impact of being pumped full of hormones is going to do to you long term is upsetting and disturbing. And obviously, it sends men into grave sin. So there's there's a lot here that paints a really, really bad picture. Um, but especially because most people, when they're facing infertility, that's what the doctors are going to jump to. Um, so I've got a couple questions then. First of all, what is God's message of hope in this? Because for some people, having children is just not mm -hmm. going to be in the cards. And, you know, maybe adoption is just not, you know, an option for them for whatever reason or not what they're called to. And for some people hearing this today, this could just be a door slamming mm -hmm. closed. So what, what is the Lord, um, what, is he, what mm -hmm. does he say to this? Well, before I get to that, I just want to say to those people who have had a baby through IVF or right. artificial insemination, mm -hmm. um, and maybe you didn't realize it was wrong, and now you're wondering, you know, where do I stand with the Lord? Where does my child stand with the Lord? Um, even when we don't follow God's rules, He follows His. Mm -hmm. So um, even if we didn't follow um, the best way in procreating and having our children, God still willed that child into existence and gave it an immortal soul. He always follows through on his promises, even when we don't follow through on ours. Um, so just know that and know that there is healing and forgiveness. Um, and um, and your child is infinitely loved by God. I just want to make sure that that is, is said. Um, and then to those people who maybe having children is not— um, you know, not possible biologically, even after pursuing all available moral options, you know, the answer that we really have is Jesus. Um, Jesus is always the answer to our sufferings and his suffering on the cross. He is a, um, 
He is a savior who knows what it is to suffer and he walks with us in our suffering. Um, so fundamentally, that that is what the Catholic Church has to offer people who are struggling with this. Um, but the Catholic Church also um, has a wealth of uh, saints and other teachings. Um, it's kind of, I kind of refer to it as fertile infertility. Um, there are many saints who have struggled with infertility and have really borne fruit for the church and um, for uh, for the growth of the church at large. Um, you know, we're the, I would say the only, um, only Christian denomination that really uh, honors uh, the entire person, doesn't see women as simply baby-making machines, but really sees men and women in their wholeness and says, there are so many ways to be fruitful through spiritual motherhood and spiritual fatherhood, um, through adoption, if that's what you're called to, through you know living that, that fertile life, even though you may be physically infertile, um, the, you know, the the fertility that comes from that is huge. Um, even Mary giving birth, even though she was a virgin, would, would be an example. Like the the church is is full of contradictions, and one of them is that um, even those who are infertile, even those who are virgins, even those who are celibate, can bear enormous fruit in this world, um, spiritually and and physically. And I think really delving into the richness of that Catholic tradition can be a source of comfort. Um, but not to minimize the suffering. Infertility is a enormous suffering and it can feel lonely and it can feel like um, you're sort of on your own in this in this sea of, of families. And that is not true. God has a plan for you and, um, and he loves you and will walk through you um, down the road. So. Thank you. All right, Amy, well, just one final question before we wrap up. Um, for people who are struggling with infertility and want to explore other options beyond in vitro fertilization, um, what resources could you propose for us? Where could couples turn to right now? So there's a great organization called the National Catholic Bioethics Center, and they have bioethicists who are on call 24 hours a day. And you can reach out to them and ask any question, and they will get back to you and answer you. Um, I know couples who've consulted them about fertility questions, but they also, if you're at a hospital and a doctor is suggesting something that you don't think is right, or if you have questions about any medical procedure, you can call them, and they will, um, they will get back to you very quickly and help you navigate uh, a wealth of bioethical um, problems and issues. So I really, I really recommend them as a place to go for support. Okay. Well, Amy, thank you so much um, for just the gift of your time and of your knowledge and for sharing that with us today. I know you were a huge support for me when I had to walk through this. And um, yeah, I think finding the point where theology and science kind of meet and, and back each other up shows, for me anyway, how the Lord doesn't just slam a door, but he speaks truth, he speaks life, and he speaks hope. Uh, so friend, as you're listening today, I hope that the Lord has spoken hope to you and life to you. And wherever you are, if this is your journey, if this is your struggle, uh, we hope that you hear today that you're not alone, but that the Lord still has a plan for your life to bear fruit. And in all things, lean on the Lord and rely on the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.